Hi, this is Mo. And this is Sarah, and you're listening to the podcast Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bird Shit. Today, we are going to be interviewing Chris Allieri, the founder of the New York City Plover Project. We're really excited for that. Uh, we also wanted to plug that it is the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act. And in the news, the Endangered Species Act is under danger. I don't know how else to say it, but it's constantly, under danger. it's constantly being threatened by Congress. And like species that are listed are constantly being delisted because of capitalism. So, um, but it is exciting that it's the 50th anniversary. And then we also, um, you know, aligning with interviewing Chris. It is nesting season. We're going to talk a lot about nesting in this episode. Um, and we're really excited. It's a good uh, synchronization of the shorebirds and the Endangered Species Act and plovers kind of fall in the crux of those those paths. Uh, I do. I have a plover story because I've actually I actually went birding sort of. I sort of went birding. So Alyssa, my, our friend Alyssa, uh, we had her on the podcast a few episodes back. I guess this is like almost, we've done 40 episodes. So I guess she was more like in like episode 20, like halfway back in our catalog ago, she was on the podcast. Let's, let's also frame that we've done 40 episodes over like three years. Oh, I know. God, we were on such a hot streak that we're like every other week. And then we're like every month. And then we're like, not for Never. a year and a half. <laughs> Um, uh, okay. So she came to visit, she came to visit Portland and, um, my husband's doing some class, some online classes right now. So I was like, all right, we got to like take both kids out of the house and let's, uh, go to the beach for a little bit. And she's like, oh, cool. And I was like, yeah, there's like some nesting piping plovers there and everything. Let's go check it out. So we get to the beach and she's like, oh, don't you like want your binoculars? And I was like, no, like I have a two and a half year old and I have a baby strapped to me. Like, I'm not going to have time to look at these birds. I just want you to like see that they're here and they have like, you know, they were protected. They do a great job, like no dogs on the beach. And the, the main Audubon society is like really involved in making sure that, that people adhere to all the rules and stuff for the state beaches. So anyway, so we get there and um, she's like, Oh look, like there's the, there's a little plover. And I didn't have my binoculars. Right. So I'm just like looking, I was like, Oh yeah. So I'm watching this bird for like 15 seconds, turn around. My toddler has her diaper off. She's pooping in the water. I was like, oh my God, like this is why I can't bird. Like this is, <laughs> this is why I can't do it. Like <laughs> for anyone who ever wanted to know, like, can you go birding with kids? It's like, no, it turns out the answer is still no. Like I just, oh, oh my God, it was so funny. It is funny to me though. I am the one who now has to stop on trails. I took my kid out for a nature hike on Sunday and we were like semi listening to the birds, watching birds. We made it like five minutes into the woods before I was like, I have to pee. I have to pee yep. right now and I have to pee in the woods right now. So my kid is just like standing on the trail, just like staring at me and then starts screaming, you're peeing in the woods. <laughs> and there are other people. There are okay. other people. And I'm like trying to quickly do this. And I'm like, great, great. Everyone's calling me out. Awesome. awesome. Oh my God. So funny. I know. So yeah. I, I have seen a piping plover this year. Yay! I don't even, I, um, I don't, well, at this point they've had their babies, but, um, it was still like a cool moment being outside and 
trying to see birds. And then we actually went back there. Um, that same beach we went there last night. Yeah. No, two nights ago? Recently. And a bunch of yellow warblers were flying around. And I had to take the little one for a walk to, like, get her to fall asleep. And so heard a bunch of veery. And it was just really cool. So anyways, I, thought- I, I feel like I'm making more time to be outside with birds. And that's sort of paying off except for when I'm cleaning up poop as a result of that. I feel like you never stop cleaning up poop. It's just like it's true. It's just now that now it's not contained and now it's contaminating the water supply. So, you know, it's <laughs> it's a little bit different scenario. But anyway, it's the price we pay. The price we pay. It gave a different meaning to the word bird shit, really. Like in this <laughs> case it was not the birds that were shitting, it was my daughter. So shitting near the birds so kind of like kind of all it's all the same word scramble there it's just a word scramble you throw it around so meta so meta uh all right so maybe chris maybe chris has some pointers for how to keep people from pooping on the beaches where (laughs) (laughs) i don't think we talk about i don't think we're gonna talk about that but but yes let's get into it let's get into it all right here we go Well, today on the podcast, we are very excited to welcome Chris Allieri. Chris is the founder of the NYC Plover Project, a nonprofit organization he began in March 2021 upon seeing a need to protect the endangered piping plovers in New York City, who were otherwise left to fend for themselves. Not fun to do anywhere, but probably especially in NYC. (laughs) I'm just speculating here. In just over two years, the organization has grown from a staff of four and a force of 250 volunteers who have performed more than 10,000 volunteer hours protecting nesting plovers and their chicks on the busiest beaches in the city. The NYC Plover Project was awarded the 2021 Hartzog Award as the Nonprofit Volunteer Group of the Year for the entire National Park Service, which is incredible. And now they have a great partnership with NPS. Chris is also the founder of Mulberry and Aster, a communications firm focused on climate tech startups. As a longtime resident of NYC, Chris grew up on the beaches of southern New Jersey, where he first saw a piping plover at a young age with his late father, Carl. Oh, I love that story. It's already a cute meet. I love it. Meet cute. Cute meet. Meet cute. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No one else watches rom-coms. That's fine. We can just skip over that then. <laughs> Chris, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you, Mo. Thank you, Sarah. It's really great to be a guest um, of you all. Yay. I'm happy to hear that. Um, let's just kick it off and maybe you could just tell us a little bit about the NYC Plover Project and how it came to be. Yeah. So I will start at the very beginning. If you said to me that, you know, in March of 2021, you're going to be starting a nonprofit, first off, I'd be like, you're crazy. A bird nonprofit, I'd be like, you're definitely crazy. I mean, It was a year prior to starting this that I was out at the beach and um, there were dogs off leash. There were people up in the dunes. Oh, oh, and I skipped ahead. It was the first time I'd ever seen a piping plover up close. And it was like, it was actually April of, of March, 2021. And I couldn't believe seeing this bird that I, you know, kind of grew up thinking about um, the piping plover. There were stickers where I grew up saying tastes like chicken and, you know, piping plovers are like this tool of the government and all of these different things. 
And yet, like I, I lived on a beach where it was closed for part of the season, for a good part of the year for this bird. And I, for me, was like a really eco-minded kid growing up in New Jersey. I loved being outdoors. I loved animals and I still do, of course. Um, but so for me, like to finally see this bird um, on this busy beach left to fend for itself, I was like literally like, what the fuck? You know, like somebody's got to do something. And um, so the first year I just sort of like was shaking my fist at the world and, you know, um, just like sending photos to the press and like bothering the National Park Service and others. And it just was going nowhere. And it's also not my style to just complain, you know. And so a year to the date almost or 11 months later, I saw the same thing again. And it's like, what are you going to do? You know, last year you spent like somebody's got to do something. And I, in knowing that like that somebody had to be me. That's incredible. Like you're truly living the change you want to be in the world. You know, like Gandhi is, Gandhi is very proud of you right now. Well, that means a lot. I mean, sometimes like I literally have thought through, I took a Gandhi class in high in college and it was, um, was amazing to learn about him. And it was called Satyagraha, which is like, like, like uh, service through action kind of thing. And so yeah. it was absolutely you know, a, a transformative class for me, for my professor, Kathy Comstock at University of Colorado. And so for me, like, though, being um, involved with this project, like, sometimes I do wonder, I'm like, my God, this has kicked up a lot of animosity. Like, there's there's definitely people, like, in community meetings, like this local community board, like, my name is being invoked, like, this new guy winning all these awards. And, like, it's sometimes I wonder if all of this visibility for the piping plover is, is always good, you know? And I think everyone tells me it is, but like my go-to is just like, my God, I hope we're not doing more harm by, by spreading the news of this, of this bird and it's, it's plight. But I think, I think we're okay, but like, it's just that the outliers are so loud and, um, Whereas the majority of people, it's like a bell curve, right? The middle is this vast majority of people that they're like, yeah, birds, cool, whatever, you know? And like, but a lot of people like are just like, yeah, okay, they have a right to live just like me. And just as long as I can go over there, you know, that whole thing. But like the outliers are just like the, 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 the hardcore, we love the piping plovers. I will like live and die for them. Love those people. But then there's these other folks over here that are just like, spreading lies and like all of these things about this bird and it's just like it's so unfair because this is literally this tiny species that's just trying to survive yeah and i know before we started talking with you you shared like articles about last year a piping plover was killed these nests were vandalized and like to your point it's like what like yeah. how how do people how is that even a thing yeah. Like, eh, it's so frustrating. Even if you're not a bird lover or like a bird fanatic, like just that blatant disrespect for other species. Yeah. And not to mention being like there's federal laws protecting this bird, you know, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918. So it's not like some radical new idea. <laughs> Groundbreaking. Species, yeah, Endangered Species Act of 1973 passed into law by that radical leftist Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> One of our favorites. 
yeah, the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air yeah. Act. So, like in ninety plus percent of Americans, like every so many different studies have been been done around endangered species, and everyone comes together for them. They're like veterans, you know. Like everyone wants to support veterans. Everyone wants to support endangered wildlife. So, I think that this is a beautiful issue to bring people together on. But unfortunately, you do have like just. I, I don't know if people are wired differently or there's just some outliers of people that are just like doing really criminal acts. And, you know, like somebody in a position of power said to me, you know, it's probably like kids who went in there and did this to like, you know, there was something like 19 American oyster catcher nests destroyed. And while they're not endangered, they're definitely a protected species. They're a migratory species. They're an amazing species. We love them. But, um, you know, I just was like, what, what, what kind of kids are doing that? That needs an intervention, you know, like that needs a serious intervention. So if that is kids, then like there was a kid on the beach, like just last weekend and he and his friend were like throwing rocks and shells at like an American oyster catcher family. So like what? two chicks and two um, adults. And I was like, Hey, Hey, you and he's like me like he's so completely perplexed that this random lunatic me is like kind of running towards him to tell him to stop meanwhile i was in the midst of doing an interview a guy is writing a book on like wildlife in new york city and it's like <laughs> you can't write a book on wildlife in new york city without a little tension and i showed it to him right and yeah the kid was just like you know, I knew he was going to go one way. I, I just thought he was going to be like, you know, who the fuck are you? Whatever. Like, and instead he was like, I'm sorry. And I was like, oh my God. So I had to like, I had to take a step back and just be like, all right, so let's just talk about this for a second. Right. And I'm like, I really did feel like I was the first time some adult randomly told this kid to not do something. And, you know, you always got to be careful because there could be parents around and people like, don't talk to my kid that way. But like, we've talked to kids about drones and that's like a massive federal, you know, issue because you can't fly drones in New York City and you can't, certainly can't fly them in a national park or above, you know, nesting species and things. And like the mom was like, you tell my son never to do that, you know, that whole thing. So it was just like, you just, I mean, we're really going into the negative first. I'm loving it. Bring but, the negative. Come yeah, on. The possibility, the, the real, the realization in like, like 10,000 hours, like no joke. Like literally we've had hundreds of volunteers, thousands of volunteer shifts. So people go out, they sign up for two hours, they stay for six. Like that's like, that's our volunteers. And, you know, we have volunteers that take two buses, a subway and a ferry or a, a you know, they bring their bike on the ferry and then have to get on a shuttle bus. Like, it's just like this group is, is so committed and wonderful. And, you know, they're like 17 to 75, like literally such a wow. problem of people. So and um, the majority of people, no joke, are really supportive and really do want to hear like about these birds. And they just want to hear the education that, just a little bit about them. You know, we're not giving them the full Nat Geo rundown, but like we are like able to share with them. And, you know, all of our volunteers do extensive training. So, and in areas like conflict de-escalation. So, you know, we do help our volunteers realize that we're not law enforcement. We're not out there to like, you know, be little, little bullies on the beach, but rather we're just like to be a good friend or steward to this species that needs the help. 
So I think we've addressed like what your volunteer team does. And like, it sounds like people are having, you know, good general reactions to what your volunteer group does. But I would, would ask, you know, would you say that your biggest concern is people intervention or, or what do you say the biggest challenges shorebirds in general face? I think it's like every year, um, you know, and it, what I, what I feel really fortunate with is like starting this group and now being part of this like massive shorebird conservation, like network and specifically a piping plover network. So you've got m- amazing opportunity to like learn and to um, be mentored by these phenomenal people who've been doing this for decades. So like Todd Pober in New Jersey and Kashi Davis and, um, you know, Lyra Brennan in Massachusetts, Mass Audubon and um, Laura Zitsky at Maine Audubon. You know, you've got these like phenomenal people who've been doing piping plover work for so long. And each and every beach, each and every ecosystem, each and every state has different um, challenges for this bird. I mean, this bird nests right on the sand, unlike other species like least in common terms or American oyster catchers, the chicks have to feed themselves for, from birth and they cannot fly for like a month. And there's been research that's shown that on the busiest uh, beaches with the most disturbance, it takes, it can take chicks 35 or 40 days when it should take them 25 days to fledge oh, yeah. to, be able to fly. So, you know, those are like three weeks, three solid weeks that if we can give that little species, they have a fighting shot. So once a bird does fledge, or fly, it can get, it's over a massive hurdle. But with that said, you know, like early predation is, is a really big issue. And I mean, that's the case of all baby birds, you know, they're everybody's lunch pretty much. So, you know, out on the beach, you have um, what we have with these terrestrial ghost crabs. They're like these kind of land crabs that run around on the sand. And this has been an issue that I think has spiked with warming temperatures um, you've got these, these crabs are getting bigger and bigger because our winters are not as cold as they used to be. Um, and then you've got different mammalian predators from, um, like fox or coyote. We don't really have those in New York city yet, but you know, I say yet because those are pretty big issues in other parts of New York and of course, New Jersey. Um, and then you've got like human commensal predators, you know, ones that are attracted attracted to garbage like you know raccoons Mm -hmm. that are egg predators mostly but can you know has been linked to chicks and things and then of course there's you know the feral cats and so and that's an issue that you know is is always an ongoing like war between bird people and cat people and we've stayed out of it because like we have volunteers who do cat rescue and do cat work right but like I think that like the idea that like TNR, you know, trap neuter release, like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not an expert here. I'm not going to get into like whether or not that works or not, but I know that like you cannot do release or, or you cannot have cats near an endangered species nesting area for shorebird species. So like that is without a doubt. So that is an invasive species. It cannot be near a ground nesting bird. Like there's just no way it doesn't work, you know, yep. you, you feed it or not so but rather than like putting out posts that are just going to like get people upset or or people will think like you want to just kill the cats and I was like never said that never would do that (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
but like, you know, for us, I think conversation's a good thing and like having people kind of come together to look at that. But as much as it's cats, it's dogs, you know, and that's the thing too, yeah. that, you know, if you think cats are challenging, dogs are also challenging. And so, you know, and dog folks are, are very challenging, just like some cat folks are. So people have a lot of, you know, people, oh, people love their dogs, their family. And I totally get that. And we have a lot of volunteers that love their dogs just as much. And so, you know, for us, it's about no dogs on the beach between March 15th and September 15th. Um, we work in two jurisdictions. We work on the federal beach on the National Park Service Gateway National Recreation Area. We are a partner with the National Park Service. And now we're expanding a partnership with New York City Parks Department, which of Yay! course is the largest um, you know, public park system in the country. Um, and their dog rule is a little bit different. I think it's um, uh, something like uh, October, uh, you know, late May until October 1st. So, you know, enforcement is different across the different jurisdictions, but like, you know, we work closely with the park service to, you know, we tell people about dogs. The dog situation though has gotten so much better and that's been through education. It's not about signage. It's not about yelling at people. It's not about like birders sort of running and screaming at dogs and it. Cause it's like, listen, I've been there. It's really frustrating. Yeah. And, but when we have a dog off leash, like running through like an area where there's chicks on the beach or an adult is like, you know, um, incubating, like that's a situation that like there's a rule in place. So if you get a ticket or if you're asked to leave with your dog, that's something that, you know, has to happen because I think the rule has to travel that like the beach isn't a place for recreation for your dog when there's beach nesting birds that are very, very fragile. I don't know if you ever followed the Chicago piping plover pair um, there. So when I lived in Chicago was the first year that those two birds um, nested there. I think it was 2018. I, yes. People are going to be mad at me, but okay. Uh, what well, is time? Uh, I, my friend Tamima Atani, who's the plover mother of Chicago, she named them. So she will. Oh, yeah. You should definitely talk to her, though. She is phenomenal. And um she, we did a, we did a webinar um, with all of the Chicago people and I have named and shamed New York city people so much and just continually point to Chicago as like, here's what we need to do mm -hmm. need to be doing. And I continually, you know, we got a great story in the New York times, but you know, all of the press in New York has been solid, but like only if we just jump up and down and convince them that like piping plovers is a good news story. And, but instead like Chicago by default, the, if you look at, this would be a great, I think graduate study, but like, if you look at the way in which I'm guaranteed that there's probably maybe P22, the mountain lion in Los Angeles was covered this way, oh, but like yeah. the coverage of Monty and Rose as individuals and like the way the Chicago Tribune specifically covered, and I'm forgetting the main writer's name, um, but phenomenal writer. And she covered them and their trials and tribulations of their like chicks lost or like one chick was lost or like one chick was still around or, you know, and then when they died, it was, it was just, it's, it's unlike anything I've seen. And so for me, like, I just keep pointing to uh, the reality there of, you know, Montrose State Park, and you've got the city officials and the, and the state officials and, and so much support. And now you've got a little Atani who is, you know, their chick, adult chick, and 
I think he's the one plover this season on site. And it's, they're putting Dali Atani pictures up there and it's, it's, oh, sorry, Imani, Imani. Um, and so Imani is like, you see these daily pictures on their Instagram and it's heartbreaking, but it's also, I know what they're doing. And I think it's brilliant because it, it there's no better way to show just how endangered the Chicago, the, um, Great Lakes population of piping plovers is than by showing the one piping plover that's in Chicago right now. Like there's yep. no better way to articulate this story. And so just real quick sidebar on plover ecology is that there are three distinct populations, the Atlantic population, um, which is listed as vulnerable, um, or, or sorry, threatened species um, uh, federally. And then you've got the endangered uh, Great Lakes population. And then uh, the threatened population that is the Great Plains um, middle of the country that extends from the middle of the country up into maritime, yeah, into uh, Canada. And so you've got, you know, um, on the Atlantic population, maritime provinces on down to Carolinas, um, North Carolina. Um, but, you know, within that, you have certain states like Massachusetts and Maine that have the pi- highest populations and have had consistently the highest breeding success. Whereas if you look at New York and New Jersey, um, New Jersey is doing really well. There are certain beaches especially that are doing well. The beach going back to where I grew up in South Jersey, at southern tip of Long Beach Island, they had 50, 50 pair on one couple of miles stretch the last two Whoa. years. And it's incredible. And that's that stretch has done very well because for decades it's been closed to the public and people just have accepted it now. And it, it just goes to show that like, if you look at a place like Long Beach Island, like it, you know, you have 18 miles and most of it is just developed to the gills. But if we can Mm -hmm. have space at the end, um, that has absolutely been, you know, success. And so when you can put aside these, these pieces of beach for the breeding season, it makes all the difference. Absolutely. And even like going back to like the Chicago situation, just because it's the one that I have the most like personal experience with, but it's like, there's no dogs allowed on the beach, but there's literally a volleyball court. That's like a hundred feet away from where they first nested. And I remember watching volunteers, like this 70 year old woman, like batting away volleyballs from these nesting piping plovers. And it's like, it's so cool to see them be so Dead, like volunteers to be so dedicated to a cause. Oh, yeah. um, and again, it's like, it's no one's telling you, you can't play volleyball here, but we're telling you that like, you need to have awareness that this is not just your beach. And yeah. it's, it's crazy. Maybe it's like an American mentality of like, well, this is mine. And therefore like, I'm going to do what I want here. Uh, and well, it's, Yeah. And we're seeing this in New York. Like there's this weird like um proprietary or or like this is my beach kind of like this is like my beach and like putting their mm-hmm. feet down on the table and like they're stomping into the dirt and like like I must be able to go to this beach right in front of my house and the reality is folks is that that beach is actually not your beach that beach is new york city parks beach or it's federal yep. property it's like the national park service so it literally belongs to us all so if there are a few people who are complaining about a beach being closed for part of the season 
there's just as many, if not more, that like want it to stay like it is natural. Like that's the other reality too, is like, imagine if we had more beaches on the East coast of this country that weren't hyper-developed. Like if you go out to the West and you see so much of coastal California and Mass, you know, um, uh, Oregon or Washington, and it's just like these beautiful, like open landscapes. And it's just, it's just like, imagine if we had more beach like that, it would be better for us all. I mean, it's better for health and so many other things, but, you know, I think like the reality is that if you can have conversation with folks and if you get out there early enough in the, into the season, and now that we're in our third season, like we have so many volunteers and we wear these light blue t-shirts. My friend Scott designed this great logo. It's just the bird on the front. And, you know, it, it definitely has been identified and identifiable for people. And, you know, people have like, yet said like, Oh, way to go plover people, like things like that. And it's, (laughs) you know, and we'll hear other things too. We'll hear negative stuff as well, of course, but like, you know, for me, I think that if we look at the threats that are facing this bird, um, it is all of those predators, but it, it is also these sort of wicked cases of nest vandalism that we saw last year in New York. Mm-hmm. While other places this has happened, um, when this happens in other places, elected officials and others have really spoken up. Whereas last season, we didn't hear from any elected officials when this happened and when it hit the press. So we have wow. spent the last several months talking with this, talking with these people. And, you know, it's like, not only do they work for us, but also they need to hear from people that do support endangered species protections, that do support nature and wildlife and ecosystem protection, right? And we've gotten some good support from, you know, different people. Um, You know, we're part of the Endangered Species Coalition and this being the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act. um, We were down in Washington in early March um, meeting with different elected officials and this award we got from National Park Service, I was able to cash it in um, and meet with uh, leader Hakeem Jeffries. And he is an amazing guy and was like really, really supportive of our work and supportive of uh, piping plovers in the Rockways. And, um, you know, he's likely the next speaker of the house. So like, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool to have us and piping plovers on his radar. Um, we've met with um, representatives of the local congressman out where we work, Gregory Meeks. We've met with, um, uh, you know, our, our two, our staff from our two uh, federal senators at uh, Gillibrand and, and Schumer. And so for us, like, you know, it's about the local politicians as well. You know, the city council members, the state senator, the state assembly people, um, because they they do need to hear about like this isn't right. Like we need to be in a society that stands up for the most vulnerable, even if they have feathers. And that's like what we say all the time. Right. Like it's not okay to just let this bird fend for itself. It's not okay for people to like screw with this bird and like to you know, uh, uh, the legality issue aside, it's just like, it's so fundamentally wrong. And I think I can speak for most people and that we don't want to live in a society that does horrible things to wildlife. So I kind of want to go back a little. So you were talking about in Chicago, all the media attention, you recently wrote an op-ed 
talking about how little attention birds get nationally for atrocities committed against them. Like you referenced whale hunting in Japan, how nationally that's really recognized, talked about, and you know, there's just general consensus about how terrible that is. Why do you think other animals garner this attention, but nationally we really don't see this for birds? I think it's, you know, and it's funny because like I was at a community meeting and I talked about the Endangered Species Act and how we have birds like the bald eagle, which we need to reclaim. Like every, it's everyone's bird. Like the bald eagle is just so flipping cool. Oh my God, seriously. Yeah. It's not, it's not a right. It's not just for the right or the Republican mm-hmm. to have the bald eagle. Like we need, everyone needs to be able to, to claim that bird because it is just so flipping amazing. It's weird to see a bald eagle in, in like the wild and be like, that bird's amazing. And then to see it on someone's t-shirt and be like, I don't think I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's so weird how polarizing it can, it can be. So true. The first time I literally saw a bald eagle, I, I thought it was like a child in an eagle costume because it was so big. <laughs> it was yeah. so big. I couldn't believe it. It was like four, like four hawks got together and put on a costume or something. Um, you know, but for me, like I, I think, and, and I was like, I was saying is like, I was talking about the bald eagle and how, because of the Endangered Species Act, the bald eagle was not in danger of extinction. And I was walking down last year, I was walking down Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, in New York City, and I saw a bald eagle over, you know, in the middle of Brooklyn. And that wasn't always the case, right? I think it's, I think it's something to be, I think it's related to, like, whales and dolphins and polar bears, and then, of course, all the African wildlife. I mean, there's, like, this idea of, like, of course, we've all seen this and heard it, but, like, charismatic megafauna, but, like, it is these charismatic, like, amazing species that, like, we grew up watching on television, or maybe we went to a zoo and we saw them, or, you know, I think, like, more recently, like, polar bears have become the poster child for climate change and like the emaciated polar bears that like Paul Nicklin and other photographers have shot in like, you know, in different parts of Norway and other places in the world. But there's something about polar bears, like the distance from us, like other than like cutting our emissions and like stopping driving and using plastic and all of that stuff, like there's really nothing we have to do to protect the pipe, to protect the polar bear. Right. Or there's nothing in like your life that you're going to lose, quote unquote, lose out by protecting the polar bear. So it's like, of course we all want to protect the polar bear, but there's something like 21 or 30,000, somewhere from 20 to 30,000 polar bears. And there's six to 8,000 piping plovers. So like, there's a lot more polar bears in the world than piping plovers. Now, 20,000 or 30,000 is not enough either, for sure. And we cannot lose that species. Like, it's so important. It's so majestic. It's, it's, it's just phenomenal. Like, we just, like, we need to do more to protect them. And there's great groups doing that, right? But, like, I think piping plovers, like, there's just so much misinformation about them. They're, like, people think that they're sanderlings, right? Or they think that they're like running back and forth in large groups. What do you mean the plovers are endangered? I, I just saw a hundred of them. Or they think that they're common terns and they're the ones that are quote unquote attacking them when they try to go to the beach or, you know, and terns are amazing. I love terns, but like, there's just so, despite like so many years of work being done to protect plovers, 
in some ways, there's not a lot to show for it in terms of the public consciousness or the public awareness of this bird. Mm -hmm. And so in places like Cape Cod or New Jersey or Maine, where some of these groups that I mentioned earlier have existed, like, yes, there's absolutely awareness and there's people out there that are like supportive, Cape Cod for, for, you know, specifically, but in New York City, I literally thought in 2021, we were starting from like zero, which was so crazy. And like all of those things I said in the beginning about like, you know, plovers taste like chicken. They're put here by the government. They're not real. We can move them. All of this is stuff I've heard in the last six months by people in like positions of power, like, or people that have been like appointed to different community boards and things like 40 years later, it's the same crap I heard in the 80s, like when this bird was just listed in New Jersey. So it's like, that's kind of where I was going with the Daily News um, editorial, because I wanted people to see that like, we can care, it's important to care about dolphins, and it's important to care about polar bears and to be upset about what happens in the Faroe Islands. And also to care about our dogs and cats and to be, you know, if something happens to a dog on the street and it's okay and we should be upset about that. But also we have a place to be supportive of efforts for a species that probably needs more help than all of these others combined. And it's right in our midst. It's right at the end of our blocks for some of these folks, right? So You know, I think like sometimes it's convenience. It's easier to care about an endangered species when it's far away and it doesn't inconvenience us. Hmm, But when it's close and we have to maybe go a little bit further, like walk 10 blocks to another beach, then it sometimes it's like all bets are off. And nothing I said in that editorial is like made up. It's all from places of like things I've heard or or things that I've sort of seen working against this bird. I truly can't imagine the learning curve that you've experienced, like starting this organization. Like I could see you, like I can't really imagine what your thought was like in March of 21, but like, I'm going to start a volunteer organization to like protect these birds. And now you're like talking to local officials, like people are dragging your name through the mud. Like you're hearing all these kinds of like cruel and unusual things that like people think about this beautiful little harmless species. Like I can imagine (laughs) just like your, your trajectory is very off from what you probably thought you were getting into when you started this whole thing. It's such a great point, Mo. Thank you for saying that. I mean, for me, I was just out yesterday morning and I was out there at seven in the morning. I, I spent a lot of time on the beach. So everything our volunteers do, I'm doing as well. We have a permanent location and I was cleaning the bathroom last week um, because I just, I like the work. It's the the connecting with people. Sometimes it's really hard for me. I mean, I do consider myself more introverted. And as I get older, I've realized that. So it's kind of funny that here I am in this like very public facing, very public role. I have learned so much from people out there, but I've read so many papers and academic papers, but also I spend hours, hours watching this bird. And I spend like, I've gone to Texas, I've gone to the Bahamas, um, I've gone to see wintering populations. I actually did see Monty 
and probably took one of the few photos of him in his final winter before returning to Chicago. Oh, wow. It was so incredible. It was like, I've seen a lot of celebrities in my life, but this one was like the one that really mattered. <laughs> um, and I just saw all of his bling, all of his, you know, bands. And I knew it was somebody important because all of those, there's so few of those Great Lakes clovers that, you know, they all have bands because they're all being tracked. Um, and he had so many that I knew he was, he was a VIP, but I, I was hoping it was Monty and I it did confirm it was him. I have learned the most from the plovers themselves. Like I've just learned that like, like we have a pair right now that are nesting on our busiest beach. Like literally I do don't think it's happened. Um, wow. And if you saw this beach, I think it's like Montrose, but even worse. And um there's just no precedent for it to be there. And it's not like, I love, like I've overheard people say like, oh, this bird's stupid. Why is it doing that? Or like, why is it like, why wouldn't it go over there? Or like, why do these birds come to these beaches? Like, shouldn't they go to a beach where there's like less people? And I'm like, okay, where between Maine and Florida is there a beach with less people? You know, like, of course there are a few spots, but like not in New York and New Jersey, you know? And so for me, I think that the reality is, is these birds have less and less turf to be able to nest. And they are, they're very territorial with other plovers. They're very territorial with American oyster catchers and the American oyster catchers are doing really well in New York, which is exciting and awesome. But, you know, oyster catchers and, and, and plovers are definitely frenemies. And if they get a little too close, there's a lot of tension and, and, and fighting and, you know, killing each other's chicks i mean it gets dark out there it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty tough so for me like watching this pair set up shop at this busy beach because the beach where they would this one part of the park where they would normally nest in fort tilden has gotten so narrow and it is also like one of the most popular hipster beaches in new york city and it's like you know, definitely on everyone's list of beaches, like people come from all over the world, they want to come to New York, and they want to go to this one beach. And so the birds have like moved, and they're going to continue to move to these wider beaches. And this pair that I'm watching, like in our volunteers are watching, and we have a couple of interns that have been watching them, and they just, they won't stop copulating. They've copulated like multiple times a day. So like, that's kind of weird. We haven't seen that before, but you yeah. know what? Like every pair is different. So, <laughs> like, and then they're I not- I like this weird. pair. Yeah. They're really not like incubating either. So it's just like kind of they're like half-ass incubating. And then there's this other pair. There's this guy, this- I was going to say, like, sounds like a hipster peach. Yeah. Like, it sounds <laughs> yeah. like they're at the right beach. <laughs> and then this other pair, this, that probably our most famous, um, he was named Clark Kent when he was- um, banded in new jersey in 2018 he's in his fourth or fifth season at fort tilden he's nesting right now he should hatch next week um unfortunately in 2021 his nest his eggs were stolen two or three days before um it was not like predation someone that we saw all the footprints and you know down fence and everything and people just went in there and wickedly took that no one ever identified these crimes are hard to to solve but we could use some more you know people looking at them and then last year his chicks were predated really quickly most likely by mammalian predators we saw cat prints and stuff around that nest um this year we're really hoping i mean he's five so you know it's a good solid age for a plover he paired up this year with 
this new bird also banded and she was born in Fire Island, um, was banded by Virginia Tech Shorebirds, um, a, a graduate program. She's one um, and her, she's just continually fighting with other birds. Like she just like <laughs> would go out of her way, like instead of just like walking down to the water from the nest to forage. So like I've watched her do this several times. She'll like walk down the beach over to the oyster catchers, screw with them, and then walk down. Like she just like constantly is starting fights, and I just love her so much. And real, think, real shorebirds of New York City. I think basically. she's like... going to be amazing. I think she's going to be an amazing mom because, like, I just want to see these guys hatch because they um, are obviously really kick-ass parents. And that's the thing too. I'm seeing like I literally have watched these adult plovers like run after crabs, run up, like, like go after gulls, go after hawks, make contact. I saw this one adult plover last week, like running after a crab went like chase the crab down into its hole and then just like stared down. For like a good 15 seconds. And like, don't you dare come back. Like yeah. it was just that's like, amazing. Go back into the hole where you came from kind of thing, you know? And it was just like, so yes, I have probably what you want to say to those volunteers or some of those uh, people on the beach too, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> go back to your hole, like don't come out. But it's like it's so fun because it's like I've just developed this this real love for this bird, and I like I I do take this work so seriously, and like I'm in it for a long the long haul. So if you want to like hurl some things at me or our organization or like at this bird specifically, like bring it on. Like, cause we're going to outlive you. We're going to yeah. outwork you. We are going to build a bigger group. We're going to build an army of people to protect this bird. We have gotten so many New Yorkers excited about the piping plovers. We have people going to this hipster beach, getting tattoos of piping plovers. Now I have a tattoo, but like of a piping plover, but like people got our logo tattooed on them. Like, That's amazing. It's amazing. And I just, I, I'm just constantly amazed by the commitment of people that like, yeah, come volunteer with us. We always need more volunteers. But even if you're just like, just like rooting us on, or more importantly, rooting the birds on, or most importantly, like speaking up for them, if you see someone with like a drone on a beach or, you know, and this isn't just about piping plovers in New York City. This is anywhere. If you go to a park and you see a dog chasing like Canada geese, or you see a dog chasing like a, a gosling of a Canada goose, you know, like don't wait for someone quote to do something. Cause that someone is probably you, you know, every park yeah. system in the country doesn't have enough volunteers. They don't have enough plover projects. They don't have enough partners. They don't have enough law enforcement. Right. So there's a way to do it in a way that's safe for you, but also, you know, definitely feel the vibe. You know, if you get a weird read on someone, don't, don't just let it go. It's, you know, it's not worth it. But most people, if we do engage with like a measured tone and like a, an FYI, like, Hey, did you know there's an endangered species that nests here? Or, Hey, did you know that that, like that little group of goslings were just born, you know, like that sort of thing. Like, and I think that like, even just like seeing some parents, like, and I know you're both new parents and it's like, we have so many young parent volunteers and like our one, um, uh, 
volunteer Jen, her daughter Kestrel, which is the best name ever for a bird person, um, she's taught her daughter to wave at birds instead of chasing them. And I've seen like little Kestrel just like waving at all the birds. And it's, it's just so sweet. And it's such a great thing to just tell everyone to do. And yeah, yeah, it's just like modeling good behavior even. I feel like the like asshole parents sometimes because whenever I see like a parent letting their kid chase the birds, because we have like tons of Canada geese here constantly. I'm always really loudly like to my daughter. I'm like, we don't do that to animals. They share a space with us. So we just, you know, we just walk by and give them their space. I'm always like really loud about it and staring because I'm like, you can't correct a child. They don't know. But no. like you can correct a parent. <laughs> oh, you, can. you absolutely can. And like you can correct a teenager. That's yes. for sure. That's yes. what I did. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I had I had that just recently with my toddler. We were at the beach. And there was like some I don't even not even gonna pretend like I know what kind of bug it was, but there was like a bug on the beach. I was like, hey, like look at this bug. And she like looks at it. And like normally she's really into bugs. And the next thing I know, she like slaps it. And I was like, Where's she what looking? did you yeah. do that for? I was like, we are a bigger person like we have to have we have to like care for little things and then she like waves at and she's like sorry beetle and I was like okay like there's like an effort to show empathy but I'm like like toddler brains like obviously they're still developing but I'm like what did you just kill that beetle for um but just yeah like trying to instill like I'm thinking back to even the story you told about those teenagers like the first time a kid is told that he can't respect wildlife is he's 15 years old or 12 years old. Like that's like, there's something fundamentally wrong there. Um, It's it's just real quick to that point is like, there's a constant learning curve and I'm like always learning. Our volunteers are always learning. Like we can always do things a little bit better. It's sometimes really hard. Like you're out at the beach. It's hot. We just lost a brood of chicks. Like something else horrible happened. And like the 17th dog for the day, like, you just you're not bringing your best self or your friendliest self so you have to kind of just like take a step back and we don't like our volunteers are able to like set their own hours and like get out as much as they want and if it's too hot they go in and take a break and have snack and all of that so because like we are the birds ambassador like we could be the first time someone's ever talked to them about a bird certainly the first time anyone has ever said the word piping plover to them you know so if we if we don't get that interaction right, then we've lost the plot. We we cannot be yelling at people on the beach. We have to model that good behavior ourselves. So like we can't be set up next to nests. Like even if we're quote volunteers, like so like the work we have to do is like really challenging sometimes, but it's like with all of this the visuals of our work and our t-shirts and like we give out temporary tattoos and stickers and magnets and you know, all of these different things to like get people excited about them. And it's helpful. But I think at the end of the day, like people have to see our Plover Patrol, our core of volunteers as this like friendly, maybe a little nerdy, like just fun group of people that like all walks of life. And, you know, we have so many different backgrounds and languages and ages and race and sexual orientation, gender expression, like across the board. And so that's something I'm so proud of. Uh, Somebody noted that to me just this past weekend. And that is like the one I'm so proud of this organization, but I'm most proud of the volunteers. And 
most of us, myself included, were not Plover experts before. And like now, I guess I'm one of the biggest Plover experts in New York City, but that, right? wasn't, that wasn't hard to get that title. <laughs> so I did grab that title. Um, but we are working with some amazing bi- biologists and folks at New York City Parks and, and National Park Service. And I, I consider them to be friends. I know that I've been a, a royal pain in the ass, but they know I'm a pain in the ass that works. And yep. we are going to be here for the long haul to do the work together with them. Um, and if they are listening, I do I do love them and respect them and, and their work is good. But I do know that we can all do more and we can all do better. And I have the we in there at the core of it because like we're going to be here for the long haul. And I mean, this bird, unfortunately, there's a lot of species that can be delisted. This bird is going to be delisted if going off the endangered species list, if people stop going to the beach or the bird becomes extinct. So obviously we don't want extinction to happen and we know people aren't going to stop going to the beach. So it is going to be a long-term management throughout my life and throughout onwards. It's definitely something I didn't think through. I thought by calling it a project, (laughs) by calling it NYC Plover project, I thought it could be more temporary, but you know, we're just really just getting started and you know, I'm, I'm really excited for what the future holds. Yeah, maybe on that note, just to kind of wrap things up, because I know we've we've gone. This has been an emo- emotional roller coaster for me, just like listening to your stories. Um, but as somebody who's leading a volunteer organization, you're working so much with an endangered species, and everything that we've just heard from you. Are you optimistic about the future? Are you pessimistic? Like, where do you kind of fall when you think about like the survival of the species, or even just like the the way people are reacting to what you're doing? Like what's kind of like your outlook? Like how, how do you feel at the end of a day being out there with the birds? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, like, I think that we've had a lot of early breeders, a lot of early nests this season. So in June, we have a lot of chicks on the beach and we have a lot of um, hope for this season, but everything can change in a moment. Um, whether, um, predation, other issues can happen that can definitely turn things. Um, I have to stay hopeful and I have to remind myself that we're just one of many organizations that are doing good work that, you know, we're not going to do it perfectly. We're not going to get every interaction, right. We're not going to be able to save every bird, but like at the end of the day, I started this group with a very clear objective and it's a really hard objective. It's to impact fledgling success so that we have more surviving chicks. Now, all of my partners and all of our friends have told us like, no, Chris, you have to look at this through the number of people you've interacted with, all of these volunteers, all these people you're educating. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. But like, <laughs> no, but it's true. And I have yeah. to listen to people with that regard. And I'd say that to others is that like, if you're working in conservation, especially specifically wildlife conservation, it is so hard for them out there, any species, any wild animal. And let's face it, everything is getting urbanized now. So even a species that's out in rural Wyoming or other parts of our country, like there's no species that isn't touched by humans on some level. Yeah. 
I think like just by getting out there and doing it and if it's, it's a handmade sign or if it's you just like starting a petition or you calling your elected official to say, hey, you know, the, the lesser prairie chicken is important. Hey, the northern long-eared bat, bat is important. You know, like these are species that like Democratic sen- senators like Manchin, but also Klobuchar, you know, are kind of coming for. So I think that the reality here is that like endangered species are no longer safe. Like we're dealing with a Congress that like, yeah, okay, we know where the Republicans are, but sometimes like, where are the Democrats? You know, Chuck Schumer approved like, you know, tearing apart protections for the right whale, you know, because a little kickback to his friend up in Maine, you know? So it's like, things like this, like politics is happening all the time. And unfortunately, like, fortunately, we're, we're all coming together for a lot of different issues and a lot of important issues. But like, we have to add endangered species to that list. We all are very concerned, or a lot of us are very concerned about, you know, climate change, but biodiversity crisis is as bad, if not worse. And so for me, I think that like, just doing something and speaking up and being a voice um, I think is 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 so doable. You don't have to be a lunatic and and go full throttle like I did. But <laughs> if you want to, you can find us, and I will tell you basically what you know what you need to do. We've got you know gotten some great grants, but you know I self funded a lot of this the first year. Uh, Patagonia has given us a nice grant, which we love those guys, and then New York Community Trust, and then the Brooklyn Bird Club recently did their annual birdathon and raised $17,000 for piping clovers in New York City. Hell yes. So, and that's like hundreds of different birders and volunteers and amazing people from uh, different walks of life across my home borough of Brooklyn. So, you know, I think it's like I have to be hopeful. There's obviously times where I'm just like really angry and I'm just like really disturbed by the lack of care, but we have to stay focused and we have to stay positive because that's the other thing too. No one wants to join a negative group, you know, no one wants to join a group that's just like all doom and gloom. And so like with our volunteers, like we really embrace the, the good stories and the chicks. And like, I told our, I tell our volunteers all the time, if one chick survives all season, that's a successful season. Now, I go home at night and be like, okay, we should have had more than one. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it is true because like, like this work is really hands-on. And I think like just a real quick sidebar before we end is like, you know, certain biologists don't like to name birds or they don't want to like get too involved with the individual bird or the species. But when we're talking about 6,000 or 8,000 birds, like knowing each bird is really important. And dare I say, Monty and Rose, nor the city of Chicago, nor like all of the, you know, the, the, the press, you know, Tamima naming them Monty and Rose, like, I, I don't think people would have come together quite as easily for Piping Clover 1 and Piping Clover 2. You know, I think like the reality is, is that people do need a good story. They want hope. And I think that like, with all of the horrible news out there, like, Wildlife is a story that brings us together. And I think it it reminds us that we like descended from other species. For sure. And I, as somebody who spent a lot of time on like baby name uh, groups, I can tell you there are plenty of people out there who'd be willing to name 6,000 birds freely, you know, like 
there's no shortage of people who want to name things. So, well, true to form, we have uh, talked about some very depressing things with a smile (laughs) on our face. So (laughs) thank you, Chris, for joining us. Um, I know people can find you um, on Instagram at NYC Plover Project. Where else can people find you if they want to get more information? Yeah, we're still on that doom and gloom site of Twitter. Um, Yes. (laughs) There's still some birders out there and bird folks out there and media and, and different and different folks. And we have some great engagement there. Um, we're still on Facebook. Um, we're at nycploverproject.org. We're going to be getting a new site later this season. So stay tuned for that. Um, but we are hoping to do um, much more in the realm of um, video and images. We have a couple of volunteers that are brilliant photographers. So um, we're hoping to utilize um, their skills to really better share stories visually of, of this magnificent bird. Awesome. Love to hear it. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Chris. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Yay. That was fun. Man, I feel like that conversation took so many twists and turns. And um it- I I learned I learned less about plovers and more about people yeah no but i think that's like a huge piece of like yeah conservation like it's not it's not just the animal but you got all of these other pieces you have to deal with and like chris does a great job talking about like dealing with the the hard people or like dealing with your local politicians which like i feel like sometimes we don't think about how complicated conservation is. Oh man. Yeah, for sure. And I think it was an eye opening to me. Like I am glad people are doing this work because I can't imagine everything that goes into it. And I feel like even Chris and everything he shared was just the tip of the iceberg of the things that he must deal with, not even deal with, but like the way that he has to operate the whole organization in order to make it work for the birds and the volunteers and then himself and oh my gosh like yeah the the months of may through august must just be insane yeah it is really great though to kind of get this perspective though for people who are interested in protecting a species near them um you know chris you know mentioned obviously you can reach out to him he provided his instagram and then they have a website as well um we'll have those listed in the interview notes. So yeah, if you are interested, I think Chris would be a great resource not to add more work for you, Chris, but, but obviously very, you know, he went through the hurdles, obviously lots of hurdles to get this done in New York city. Lots of hurdles still hurdling. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I it went from like, it went from like a hundred meter dash to like a four mile race with hurdles every 25 feet. Oh my gosh. No, no, thank you. I did hurdles in high school. You did. Yeah, you ran track. Long, long, long time ago. Long, long time ago. I, was... I remember that in college, though, because I would like, I started running in college and you were basically like, been there, done that. Yeah, but I never <laughs> did long running and I should have. I'm glad I called it long running. Long, long running. running. Long running, short running. I never did the long running. <laughs> I was not a fan. Okay, this has nothing to do with our episode, but. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on, Chris. We hope you all enjoyed it. And if you need to reach us, you can reach us at hellobirdshit at gmail.com. 
You can message us on Instagram and we'll respond in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll respond sooner. We're, I'm pretty good at the, we're, I feel like we're pretty good at the Instagram. We're getting yeah. better. Now that we've like decided to come back, yes. we're trying to like come back in we full are com- on we all are committed. We are like Tom Brady saying he's going to retire for like three years in a row, but we are here. We are here. Who, which one of us is Giselle? Oh. Like, which one of us is, like, secretly resentful that we're doing the podcast? <laughs> Not me. I think we're... Not me, because I told you that... I think the, we're both the, Giselle the, and Tom. <laughs> Simultaneously. We'd switch back and forth. Different role-playing, depending yeah. on who needs to be doing exactly. what role. Exactly. I'm glad That's you us. brought Giselle That's into us. this, though, because I was just thinking of, a like the Tom Brady portion of it where he's like, yeah, I'm retiring. But Giselle is probably the reason he went back to working because he was like, I can't, I can't. Oh, see? Oh, oh, see, I think it was the, I mean, she definitely was pissed yeah, when that's he went true. back though. That's true. I think it's funny that um, Sam has to remind me that Tom Brady went to our alma mater uh, yeah. like, all the time. Yeah. I'm like, oh, because he's been playing in the NFL for like fucking ever. And I'm like, uh, oh yeah, he did he, go to college. He did go to our college and showed it that swimming dude, Michael Phelps. Michael yeah. Phelps. Yeah. That swimming dude. Oh my God. All right. You might need a little more coffee. <laughs> okay. You knew who I met. You knew instantly I who I met. Well, I know because wasn't he caught smoking pot at yeah, Michigan? Yeah. And that was like a whole, a huge thing. Like, oh. But apparently he doesn't get disqualified. Was he swimming in the Olympics then? I don't know. 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 <laughs> swimming dude and football guy both came to our <laughs> so it came from our school so in summary mo and i are like a swimming dude and football guy go blue <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>